Open up to Titus chapter 3. We're going to finish up Titus today. We're in the last, very last end dregs of the letter. Let's, uh, we're going to read 12 through 15 of chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to, be, to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so we're here at the end of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus. Titus is an apostolic delegate. He's a church planner, whatever you want to call him. He was sent by the Apostle Paul to accomplish a task on the island of Crete. Island of Crete was populated with Cretans and uh, had a healthy population of Jews as well. There was a Judaizing heresy that was affecting the church that Paul took on. Um, You can read about that at the end of chapter 1. And so he's given specific directions about how to set up churches, how to find uh, qualified elders to uh, fulfill the offices of the church, to fill the offices of the church. And then he, uh, he gets specific to the society that he, he's uh, ministering to there. He has, uh, the Cretans are to be uh, strongly exhorted. And then he, uh, teaches, he t- teaches how to order the home, how to order society, how to order how, how the relationship between old and young is to function, the mentoring that's to happen between men and young men and women and young women, and those things. And then we get two, two very, uh, very clear doctrinal statements in the book. I'd say those are the, sort of the core of the, um, the book. And that's 2.11 through 15, and then uh, what we looked at a couple weeks ago in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, 8, 9, yeah, 7. And what, what's the main, if you recall, what's his main point in those sections? And it's echoed again in the last thing, the last exhortation, well, it's not the last exhortation. It's one of the last exhortations in what we read, but it's echoed again there. What is it? What about him? Be fruitful. Produce good fruit. Produce good works. And for what reason? One, it, yes, it will testify to, to your integrity in the Lord, right? Does he give any whys? Why those good works? Or is that the wrong question? 
Well, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. That's exactly right, though. Good works. One of the reasons for good works, one of the reasons we should be engaged in good works is because there are needs. We all have needs. We all have difficulties. And not just us in the church, but our neighbors and those around us and our society, right? There are just needs everywhere, everywhere. And so that's one of the reasons for good works. What I'm getting at is good works follow something, and that's the work of the Lord, right? Grace is, grace the grace of God which saves us from our sins, saves us, gives us uh, the ability to produce good fruit. And so grace comes and works flow out of grace, right? Rather than twisting that around and putting works first, which leads to grace, um, works that lead to merit, we think the merit comes from Jesus and then flows into works that we perform. Now, here at the end of the book, Paul does what he does in a lot of his letters. You could go to the end of Romans, and that's probably the longest section of personal greetings. And I mean, that whole chapter is devoted to Paul saying hello to people. Not not really hello. He has some exhortations. But I mean, he is also just saying, greet Priscilla and Aquila, you know, my friends. And so, here in the inspired Word of God are these greetings that Paul gives uh, to those he's working with and to those who are in the churches. We could go to the end of 1 Corinthians. We could go to Colossians, the end of it. We could go to Timothy, the end of that. He gives these same sort of personal exhortations. And we usually just blow by them in our devotional readings, right? We, we're like, yeah, maybe, is that the Apollos that, you know, was in Corinth? And, and we don't really stop and think about it, but let's stop and think about these a little bit. First of all, Paul says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. So what's happening? Titus is getting replaced, right? Titus is getting replaced by Artemis or Tychicus. One of the two of these guys is going to come and replace him. So so this is a temporary assignment for Titus. He's to go and set up these churches, and then he's to move on. Right? He's, not, he's not settling there. He's like Paul. He's going from place to place to place. And so, so again, that, takes, that puts some pressure on Titus. Right? He's got to set up these churches. He's got to find elders. And then he's, he's going to be replaced by others that have, been, that have certain gifts. And he's going to move on. Now, Artemis, we don't know much about him. Nothing's known about him. Artemis. He knew the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knew him, likely had some training, was a faithful man, had proven himself, was a Christian, and he could go in and follow up after Titus to make sure the churches are strong. Tychicus, on the other hand, um, is we, we read a lot about him in 2 Timothy 4. He, uh, 4 verse 12, Tychicus went to Ephesus. Paul says, but I 
but Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And so he did some work in the church there. Paul knew him from that. Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we find out that Tychicus is Asian. And we, uh, in Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, Tychicus is the one who carried Paul's letters to Ephesus and to Colossae. So this guy's really tight with Paul. He, he's carrying letters for the Apostle Paul. He's going and encouraging churches. You know, what we would call that office, I don't know. Maybe another apostolic delegate, a church planner, a, 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 I don't know, church growth. Who, no, no, we won't call him that. Um, but he's well known and he's going to go and he may be the one that comes after. Titus is to go to Nicopolis. Paul is not there yet because he says... I, how does he put it? Yeah, make, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. He wouldn't say there if he was already there. He would say, I'm going to spend the winter here. So he's, he's on his way traveling. And this was the life of Paul, right? He was just from one place to the next. He would preach in the synagogue. He would encourage the Christians. He would move on to the next place. Great faith, right? And so, so Paul's in that city, an important city. And then he says, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. So here are these other two guys who are going to be coming to Crete, I assume. And he's to help them. He's to provide for their needs when they get there. Zenos, the lawyer, again, we don't know anything about him. We don't read about him in other places. But Apollos, do we? Who's Apollos? He's the good orator. He's the Apollos that we read about in Corinthians. Right? He was the man trained, I'm assuming, he's the man who was trained by Priscilla and Aquila. He's the Alexandrian Drew. He ministered in Corinth, divided the church essentially, right? There were factions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Christ, I'm of Apollos, I'm, I'm these. And in um, Acts. Oh, let's see. Acts 18.24, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John, and began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Prisca and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. <clears throat> so this, this Apollos is, is eloquent, <clears throat> but untrained, right? <laughs> which, which uh, is the pulpits of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of churches in, um, <clears throat> in our nation, right? Eloquent, but untrained. Eloquent, but not tested. And so he, he submits his teaching, and Priscilla and Aquila say, okay, you got some things right, 
we're going to explain to you the gospel, the grace of God, the scriptures more fully. And uh, they train him. 19.1, it happened that while Paul, Apollos was at Corinth, <clears throat> Paul, passed, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And so uh, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians... <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is, is um, <clears throat> struggling right now. First uh, Corinthians one twelve. Now I mean this that each one of you is saying, "I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ." Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you would say you were baptized in my name. And so, Paulos, Paulos is there ministering and. I don't, I don't think Apollos is drawing people away, but that, that church had a problem with, with divisions based upon superficial differences. Okay? And sins were dividing that church, and that's the theme. That's one of the themes of 1 Corinthians. But, but look at 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Okay, and so here, here this, this I take being the Apollos that's mentioned becomes, as he was in Corinth, he, he is with Titus. And hopefully is with the church in Crete and will go there to minister to the needs of the saints. Um, all of this to say that it is important that the church be about producing leaders for the church. Right? It's amazing that Paul can go to Crete and then Paul can leave Titus. And then he can call Titus away, and there are other men who will come in after them that he trusts to take over that church there and to lead it in its integrity, right? To lead it to glorify God and to worship him. And so, um, 2 Timothy, it's 2 Timothy 2, 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's, that's the ministry of the church, right? If the pastor, and this is, I was, I've been thinking about the, the, um, the, the cult of personality that is affecting the church today. The cult of personality, right? These big time ministries that have one sort of figurehead who's now in his 60s or 70s, hasn't learned how to do 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Right? He's just tried to remain the man in his ministry and hasn't been about handing it off, hasn't been about training up leaders. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great pastor. He was a great preacher. But after he died, his church died because he didn't care about training up the next generation, he cared about, he just, he, it wasn't his gift. He should have hired an associate that would 
would have done that work for him. But he didn't do it. He preached. He was a preacher. He was gifted by God. He was used by God. But um, he did not think about handing off that church to his own children. Right? That's, we, we have to be concerned about that. That's why, that's why you know, you want to have... Uh, you want to have a pastor who is thinking generationally and is not thinking, you want to have leaders in the church who are not thinking about it as a kingdom over which they rule, but as a stewardship which they're going to pass down and hand on to the next generation. And then you have to give real authority to, to the young people of the church. You have to give them real responsibility, right? Or they just think you're playing with them, right? You have to train and teach and then give real responsibility so that you can still mentor them as they exercise what limited authority they're given. And so um, Paul's doing this, and it's, it's evident in Crete, and he's got guys all over the place that he can send on after he's moved on. He doesn't have to stay there. You think that takes faith? You think the Apostle Paul was, was, um, was always wanting to move on? Right, that that uh, I would imagine not. I would imagine like any father, he wanted to be close, and he wanted to stay close, and um, and yet he knew that the Lord had called him to go out and preach. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he expresses that all over the place. You know, he's longing to be with the church, but God is either hindered or God has drawn him somewhere else. But he's longing to be with the brothers, uh, to encourage them and to be encouraged by them. But he's got work to do. And so he's got to be able to, he, he had to be able to be training faithful men to continue on that work. And praise God for that because, because that's God's method of, of spreading the gospel and strengthening the church. Okay, pouring into um, younger men who will then be able to do the same process, and it's handed on and handed on. So diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. He's really calling, he's really calling the Titus to care for all the needs of these men, to honor them so that they, they're not worried about, what, you know, their needs. He's, he's telling them to practice hospitality. Now, then this statement in verse 14. Like, like any good writer, he summarizes, he writes a conclusion at the end of a letter and summarizes what, what he's been emphasizing, what he's been trying to say throughout the letter. And he says it very simply, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. First of all, he says our people. And it's, it's a sweet term, right? Our, our people, the church, our people, those who have a common faith. He, he's, uh, it's, it's, don't read it as condescending, you know, those that we rule over, our people. This is Paul being affectionate toward the church. And he's making a distinction. Our people makes a distinction from all people. Right? The church 
is a distinct people that have been drawn out of sin for the purpose of glorifying God and, and producing fruit. And so he's drawing that distinction. He's being intimate, but he's also drawing the distinction. Our people, Christians, the church, us, this is what we must learn. Now, he says that you must learn to engage in good deeds. You don't just do good deeds. You have to be taught how to do good deeds. We have to learn these things. That's why we need mentorship. Is because the first time we're asked to take the garbage out, we, we honestly don't know how to do it. We don't know that we have to go from room to room and collect the bags and then replace the bags in all those rooms with the new bags and then take that out to the kitchen garbage and get the kitchen garbage and take it out to the thing. And then we have to take the thing, the dumpster, out to the road. Right? The first time I asked my son to take the garbage out, he didn't know how to do it. You know, and, and it's just, what's that? You just looked at me like, I don't know what to do. How do I do? What does that mean? And, and so, so this is why mentorship is so important. This is why this, the, the Titus 2 commands that came early in this book are so important is because we need to learn, we need to learn how to love our spouses. And so you can't just like say, go love your spouse. Right? You, you have to see it. You have to say, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean when, when my, my spouse is unkind? What does that mean when my spouse is sick? What does it mean when my, when my spouse is terrible with the checkbook? You know, and, and you, you have to learn these things. And so, um, so everybody's involved in that process, right? Everybody is involved in mentoring those who are younger to them. And so you can begin to show... Uh, these good deeds, but but you, you can't just command to do and then um, not teach. We are to learn to engage in good deeds. Um, that also means that good deeds, the good deeds God has called to you are not just those things that are natural for you, right? Uh in other words, natural, like, like, like giftedness in athletes. You know, some people, they talk about having it. Right? He's just got it. He's, uh, LeBron James didn't really have, he didn't need to be taught how to be athletic. He was born, it's natural, he knows how to jump, he knows how to balance his body, he knows all these things, so there are things that he did not need to be taught. But, but and there are going to be th- there are going to be works in the church that are in your wheelhouse. They're easy. But there are also going to be things where you have to learn how to do it. And you may find that in the struggle, um, those things that you learn to do and you grow in and that you give yourself to is actually where your giftedness lies and not what's natural and easy. Okay? You may learn that those... um, so, so what I'm saying is, don't just do what comes naturally to you. Learn to engage in good deeds. And, and why? It's to meet pressing needs. And really, the, the word here is necessary. And it could mean, he could be talking about the daily 
daily things, right? The things that always have to get done. Or he could be talking about there are special, significant emergency needs that have to get done. I, I, think, it, I think it inclines more toward the, um, the, press, the pressing needs, things, the daily urgent things that, the daily things that need to get done, that if neglected leads to, uh, leads to what? Yeah, yeah, but it, it leads to, to unhealth, it leads to weakness, right, if you don't give yourself to these things. Um, so what are some pressing needs? Lodging. Yeah, lodging. Food. A man doesn't provide for his family. He's what? What'd you say? Yes, it does say that. Right? So there's a pressing need there. What other pressing needs are there? Learning to cook the food. Yeah, sometimes that is a pressing need. Learning how to, how to cook meat, especially. Care for the sick. Care for the sick. Care for widows. Right? Care for the weak. Care for the oppressed. What else? It's just good to name these things, right? Then you can examine yourself whether or not you're you're engaged in learning how to meet to do the good works to meet those pressing needs. Right? I mean pressing needs, the daily urgencies. Um our children are a pressing need, <laughs> right? The discipline of our children, the love of our children, time spent with our children, educating our children, uh, filling them up, loving them, you know, loving on them, loving on them, loving on. I just fell into evangelical... Um, <laughs> <laughs> cliche there, right? But but it, it makes it, I mean, enjoying your children, right? Not just discipline all the time, but enjoying them and talking to them like they're, they're image bearers of an almighty God. What, what else? Name some pressing needs. What pressing needs did you have today? Or did somebody else have that you didn't fulfill? Cleaning the house. The dishes in particular. <laughs> um, Christianity is inevitably practical, right? It, in, the faith that we have in God works out in practice. It works out through the fingertips, right? It is inevitably practical, and this is the way that we have of glorifying God. This is the way of showing forth our faith. These, these tangible blessings on other people, these gifts of, of service, um, but also the teaching of the word, right? The worship of the Lord. You have a pressing need to be engaged in worship. Right? God 
God desires to sit enthroned on your praises. There is a pressing need you have every day. Have you considered that a pressing deed, need? And have you been careful to engage, to learn how to gauge in worship of God? Right? We think that, that pressing needs are the, uh, don't have to do with the worship of the Lord, but if we're not worshiping right, then every, every other bit of our practice is going to be off. Right? If, you're not, if you are not settled at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day in the praise of God, well then start with that good deed. Learn how to do that. Learn how to pray. Learn how to read. Learn how to meditate. Learn how to, how to, um, how to take notes during a sermon. Right? And then take the time to go back and look at those notes. Right, and that might lead to to um, to more engagement with the word. So, uh, again, the, we could go on and on about the practical realities. Some are domestic, some are our homes, some are our neighbors, some are our relationship to the Lord. But Christianity inevitably works out in the things we do. Christians must not be fruitful. Right, that's what he goes on to say. He says, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Unfruitfulness is, I mean, think of all the language in Scripture about unfruitfulness. Think of the image of the fig tree. What does Jesus do to that fig tree? Curses it so that it may never bear fruit. Right, so that unfruitful tree, and and we can get we can get cosmic on this and think about all all of Israel being represented by that fig tree, and all of Israel did not, in the end, produce fruit, and they were cut off, right? And who's grafted into that wild olive branch? But the Gentiles, and so so, but. But fruitlessness is terrible. It is a, a sign of um, the curse of God. And so Christians must not be fruitless. One, because there are pressing needs. Two, because the grace of God leads to good fruit. It's inevitable. It must. Right? And James 2, faith without works is dead. You cannot have a dead faith. Faith without works is dead. It is, it is unproductive. It, it, it is worth nothing. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and don't forget 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You've been prepared for this purpose. You have been saved by grace to produce fruit. In other words, you should wake up in the morning and say, Okay, Lord... What fruit today? What fruit today that I didn't pursue yesterday? When am I going to learn to do what is pleasing to you? 
right? We're to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. And in learning that, we're to do it. And in doing it, there's the production of good fruit. Okay, so you've been created in Christ Jesus for this. Um, and that is, the, that is the main theme of this book. Go live your faith. It will be powerfully fruitful. It will produce. Now, the last thing he does is, is pronounce a benediction. Again, a common trait of his book, standard for, for Paul to um, include this. And he says, all who are with me greet you. Paul, wonderfully aware of everybody who's around him. All those who are with me greet you. People that, that the, the church in Crete didn't know. But he wants them to know that there's a, there's a body of Christ universal, right? There's a body of Christ around the world. And he says, all those who are with me greet you. They care for you. They say hello, right? They are thinking about you and they are praying for you. And then he says, greet those who love us in the faith. Or greet those who love us faithfully. It could be tra- translated. Um, so it, it is, he's assuming here in this statement that not all do that. Not all love them faithfully, right? Greet those <laughs> who love us in the faith. And, um, <clears throat> you know, 310, he's just said, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. There were those in that church that were there to afflict the church and now at the end of the letter, he says, greet those who love us faithfully. And then grace be with you all. Paul ending with grace. Ending with um, this, the, the, um, the lauding of the, the basis of their salvation, which is grace. And you have to feel the weight of Paul's use of that word. Go back and read all of his letters. Go back and read how he talks about the grace of God and its importance to us. So, a couple last remarks. Are you engaged in good deeds? Are you meeting pressing needs? What pressing needs do we have that, that were just talked about? Um, are there pressing needs that you think need to be met, but you've been afraid to express them to the church? Right? Have you been aloof so that you don't have other people's help? Do you not like it when people try to assist you? Right? Well, the, the Christian church can't have any of that. We need to be up in each other's business right? by faith and in love, of course. Uh, you have opportunities to prove your salvation, to give thanks to your Lord, to bless your neighbor, to grow in your sanctification, to grow in your assurance through the deeds that you engage in. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. Whether home or away, we make it our aim to please God. It's one thing to stumble into that which pleases God. It's quite another thing to, to always aim for it. You know, sometimes we stumble into doing good things. The, the church... You know, the church did a mission trip, and man, I was a missionary. 
you know. But there was no one else who wanted to go, and I had to go. Um, but, you know, sometimes we stumble into that which pleases God, but, but, but are, we, um, are we aiming to please Him, always aiming? Are we aiming in this way to, to return home after a day of work and aim to please Him in how we enter the door? Right? There are more good deeds to engage in after we engage in the last round of good deeds. Right? Every door, every entrance way we go through into a next place is another opportunity to engage in good deeds. And so we should always, it should always be our aim to live in that way. And um, there, is, there is no such thing as me time. It's just, there is no such thing as me time. Right? Your me time should be the worship of the Lord where you're fueling yourself up by gazing on the beauty of God so that you can go love others. Let's pray. Father, we pray that, you would, that we would be zealous to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs. And I pray that we would be encouraged to see others engaged in this manner and, and seeing the needs of the body being, uh, being met through through the activity of your people in love. Lord, what an encouragement this is when we see this happen now. I pray that we would excel still more in this and be built up into a beautiful and pure bride. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.